Here we go. Folks, this is your host, Cameron Ivey of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Alrighty then, welcome to Privacy Please. I am your host, Cameron Ivey, and with me, as always, my friend and co-host, Mr. Gabe Gums. Gabe, how you doing? You know, Cam, I'm well, and uh, it's been too long since we spoke. I know. How have you been? It's strange. It's, uh, it's good to see your face, good to hear you, and uh, really excited to, to talk with our guest today. Really appreciate him coming on, and uh, we'll do that introduction real quickly, but I'm doing well. Um, doing well, good. can't complain. Uh, but and it's Friday. It is Friday. That is our day. Um, that is the day. That's, that's when all good things happen. Uh, so we do have a great guest today. His name is Tim Erland. He's the VP and strategy at Tripwire. Tim, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Tripwire is uh, a hell of an organization. I'm sure you'll get into it and tell us quite a bit more, but it's been around for a while. Uh, I've personally been in InfoSec for roughly 20 years, and I think that product has been in my life almost that long. Yeah, I think I think Tripwire has been around for roughly twenty years. Yeah, a little longer yeah, than yeah, that. Without exa- yeah, without exaggeration. Yep. So excellent organization. We're looking forward to this conversation. Agreed. Yeah, I think the uh, the one thing that comes to mind is the the catchy little uh, Tripwire dot com. Is that the same one? Not even. Close. Not even I have close? no idea what you're talking about. No, he's thinking about like Hotwire. <laughs> oh, it's Hotwire. <laughs> it's Hotwire. <laughs> <What>? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you know. Oh, yeah. So, Tim, Slightly the problem with company, this show, you know. here's the problem with this show, Tim. We're not even going to edit that out. Nope. <laughs> it is hot Good. wire. Okay. Good. Well, hey, you know what? That's what yeah. came to mind when I first thought of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah don't that do could that. still work. Hotels, cybersecurity, uh, the same. That could still work. What's the difference, really? Hey, don't yeah. judge. Could it? People, people know me. I'm good. All right. Well, anyways, Tim, since I've ruined the beginning of the show. Let's go ahead and just uh, start our show off like we always do. We'd love to hear from you personally in your journey. You can tell us as much as you like or as little as you like, but uh, the listeners love to know where, where you came from and how you got to being the VP and strategy at Tripwire. Yeah, happy to. So uh, I, I have been in this this industry about as long as, as Tripwire has, about 20 years. Um, Tripwire's been uh, – technically, Tripwire was founded in uh, – I think it was 1997, um, and I joined um, – a company called N-Circle in 2001, which was acquired by Tripwire in 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Tripwire was acquired by Belden in 2015. I, so, uh, you know, three companies, one company, you know, it's hard to hard to say, but uh, kind of one continuous journey there. And um, interestingly, I was thinking about this 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 question. Uh, I think there, there was a, a particular era in cybersecurity where the industry kind of uh, took on a, a, a collection of, of sort of refugees from undergraduate philosophy. Because um, mm. I was thinking back to the folks who were, who were in this industry, started about the same time I did. And there really was a trend of people who went into uh, college, got a philosophy degree, and then bailed for cybersecurity. And I, I think it's because 
they're very similar disciplines in terms of critical thinking, except that in cybersecurity, you get problems that you can actually solve. Solve. <laughs> That's exactly right. So instead of just, you know, endless problems that you can never solve, but you can think about for, you know, decades – uh, you get challenges and problems that you might actually get a resolution to, and I, that, that, that's pretty attractive. And I think that's part of what attracted me uh, to cybersecurity. Um, that, and I was I was looking for a job, and they offered me one. Uh, that's <laughs> that helps, that's helpful. Yeah. yeah. So I, I started as a as a sales engineer. Um, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, I had the 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 somewhat unique dual qualifications of being able to talk to other human beings and also knowing what free BSD was. Uh, which was important to the job at, at the time. Um, and then from there, uh, worked my way through some time in, in QA uh, and then into product management, which is really where I've been for, for a long time. And uh, product management, I think, is um, it's a difficult job because you are often blamed for failure and not credited with success. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also, I think, the most interesting job because you you get – the chance to really go and understand customer problems pretty deeply and then actually have a, a shot at solving them, of helping to solve them um, with mm -hmm. products or services, depending on, on what you're working on. So um, mm -hmm. it's a, I think it's a great place to be. I think it's a, a great, a great discipline to, to work in and, and really like that job. So. Are you familiar with a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Sanders? No. Mm -mm. I'll have to make an introduction at one point. He, too, like you, is uh, from a philosophy background. In fact, on his LinkedIn, it explicitly says, like, philosopher turned technologist. Uh, um, you're right. I've worked with a number of, of uh, folks that, that have that background, and I've never really thought about it or put one and one together. But that is, that is a very interesting perspective. Um, I took a slightly different route and went technology to technology and realized I was still in technology. Like, what am I doing here? I'm still in technology. <laughs> um, but... Uh, your time as a, as an engineer, do you credit that at all to your product management skills? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, you start as a, a sales engineer, going out and talking to customers and trying to, you know, understand if your if your product fits into the the problems that they have. Um, if you're a good one, if you're a bad one, you try and wedge your product into the problems <laughs> or convince them that they have them. But right. um, at some point, as a sales engineer, I, I found myself frustrated that I couldn't. I couldn't make the products change in the way that, that I thought they should in order to solve the customer problems that were in front of me. And so mm -hmm. that's kind of that transition. You know, you sort of move towards, I think I can make a bigger difference by driving the product than, you know, being on the front end of, of selling it effectively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you're talking to customers and you're listening for problems... What's the thing that you pick up on the most with cybersecurity professionals? The thing I pick up on the most, uh, that's an interesting way to put the question. I mean, the, I don't want to be too pessimistic about it because I'm generally a, a pretty optimistic person. But um, a lot of the core problems that people face really haven't changed substantially over the last couple of decades. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you, when you, you know, the conversations we're having now, the technology has changed, you know, people have moved towards cloud and containers. People have moved uh, in some ways uh, towards like industrial is another area of expansion. Technology changes, but, but there's sort of a core set of problems that, that customers continue to have and continually mm -hmm. have. 
Um, and I think that's that's certainly a pattern that I that I see. Um, so Tripwire, although I don't believe it described itself as that very early on, um, I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm intimately familiar with the tool. I mean, it, it literally used to be like, I used to have it on my resume, like, I know how to use Tripwire. Uh, yeah. That was a thing. Um, but a data security tool. Like the thing that Tripwire did early on was monitor files, right? Like it, it, yeah. it understood if data was was being impacted in a way that an administrator might find um, negative. And so... You know, you can certainly look at Tripwire and say that that was one of the very early data security organizations. Like now, data security has become this whole big collection of everything from rights management to discovery and classification to access governance, et cetera, et cetera. But where does that place in in where Tripwire had its life, especially for someone who's been there as long as you have? Where, where does its origins really help it be who it is today? Well, you know, underlying, as you point out, sort of underlying everything that Tripwire does, and of course. Over the years, you know, Tripwire has expanded. Having having a reputation of being sort of the file integrity monitoring company is it's both an advantage and a disadvantage, right? We've been around mm-hmm. a while; people have heard of us, but also people tend to think that's all that Tripwire does, and it's not anymore. But that foundation of sort of understanding that integrity is sort of a core concept that underpins a lot of the foundational um, security controls that that really need to be put in place for organizations uh, to build that that sort of foundation. Um, there's a, a phrase that I like. Um, it's not my phrase. I stole it from some other tripwire person uh, along the way. Uh, we'll but edit that, that part out. Don't worry. <laughs> every, every incident starts with a change. And when you start mm. thinking about that phrase, like it might not be a change on your system. It might be a change in the external threat environment. Um, it might be a change in an attacker's portfolio of tools. It might be a change on your system. But somewhere along the way, whatever that incident is, it started with some kind of a change. And so the ability to understand how your environment is changing, to identify those changes, it really does become kind of a foundational concept. And I think that Tripwire has sort of taken that. It remains sort of core to what we do. Um, I think it informs the, the the product direction in a lot of ways. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty positive on that, that concept in, in general. In all of my years, I don't know if I've heard anyone articulate it that way, and I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I think about UEBA products today and, and other types of behavioral activities, and that's exactly what they're looking for, isn't it? Yeah, some it's kind a of a change. change. Yeah. Some kind of a change. And to your point about integrity, well, hell, it's the I in the CIA that we've been talking about for the better part of, what, like 30 years plus? Like, yeah. That's – yeah. yeah that, you know, that hasn't gone away. I tried to uh, – for some talk I did at some point, I tried to look up the origins of – that CIA triad and, and they're hard to find. And I, I couldn't actually come to a clear conclusion of like, this came from some specific place, uh, but it really has become, you know, sort of a key concept for, for security. Mm-hmm. 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 What are you excited about tripwire? Like where it's headed now as, as the VP of strategy, what, what excites you about where we're going? The world's changed a lot in the last mm. couple of years, right? Like, and, 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 and all of the things that's happened around us has directly also impacted the security world, whether we're talking about the ransomware, um, you know, upticks, which just everywhere, you can't avoid that. But work from anywhere, the pandemic, you, you name it, the world has changed a lot in a short period of mm-hmm. time. What are you excited about from a strategic perspective where you guys are headed? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about um, sort of our, our core product development. I'm, I'm excited about the the way our portfolio of products is developing. Um, I mentioned it already, but I think um, I, I see this connection between cloud adoption and industrial cybersecurity 
uh, where uh, you know, cloud is is often thought of as being sort of that 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 newer technology, bleeding edge maybe, but exciting and new. Industrial cybersecurity is often thought of as being about securing sort of old equipment, legacy equipment. Um, the reality is that on the industrial side, there's actually a lot of new technology going into industrial now um, as well. If you think about how people are modernizing manufacturing plants, if you think about how people are modernizing, uh, you know, energy production and distribution, yeah, yeah, yeah. the problem is that it's it's a combination of new technology and old technology there. Mm-hmm. And cloud is all new uh, for the most part. But these two areas where I think there's really exciting technology expansion for most organizations at this point. Um, but in both of those cases, you still need to apply the same basic set of security controls. Um, and what I mean by that is you still need to understand what's in your environment. You still mm-hmm. need to understand is it configured securely? Um, mm-hmm. Does it have vulnerabilities? Uh, those sort of basic controls. You could throw in um, integrity as sort of the underpinning of that, as, as I've talked about. I, I really like and I'm excited about the idea of, of expanding sort of that, that concept of basic foundational controls um, into new areas of technology where I think it feels to me like they could make a big difference in terms of how people mm-hmm. actually run their businesses in the, you know, uh, with that, that type of technology. You're right. There is a bias. I know. I, I see the bias. I, I, I see it all the time, and and maybe sometimes I'm even a little guilty of it myself. Um, to think about ICSs, industrial control yeah. systems in general, as being kind of legacy systems. But you're absolutely right. Like you've got a smart meter outside your home, and and that thing more than likely dumps data into an S3 bucket somewhere in the cloud. Mm-hmm. And a large part of the reason for that is because edge computing is is what it is. Like you know that thing outside my house is, is sits at the edge, and so does. So does the S3 bucket. So yeah. all this computing has moved towards the edge. But the real question there is, any any thoughts at all as to what drives that bias? Well, it's, it's not, it is a real problem. You're not wrong. When you talk about uh, the difficulty of securing legacy technology in a, you know, an industrial sector, you're, you're not wrong. It does exist. It's a real mm-hmm. problem. It's just mm-hmm. not the entire problem. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, while you've got, you know, that, that new smart metering project, you've also got, you know, energy distribution, energy management systems that are, you know, 20 years old in the same organization. So it, it, the problem isn't just that there's old technology that's being, you know, introduced to a networked environment that it, it probably shouldn't be on. It's that it's sitting next to new technology that was built for that environment as well. Um, so that sort of hybrid problem is 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 a, a maybe a more accurate way to look at it. Hybrid problem is very prolific, um, and the cloud does seems to be at the center of that too, right? Like you've got on-prem technology yeah. as well. So forget things that are at the edge. You've got on-prem technology colliding with the cloud also. Absolutely. Um, is, yeah. yeah, yeah. Is there is there kind of a, a future for on-prem technology that looks different from Tripwire's perspective? Um, I don't know if it looks different. I mean, I, just in thinking about it, that problem of, of the, the juxtaposition of, of older technology and new technology, it exists outside of industrial as well. I mean, you and I both know that, uh, you know, there are major banks today that are running on legacy systems that are maybe 10 years old, um, you know, mainframes. <laughs> they still exist. Yeah. They're still yeah. doing critical functions. Um, and at the same time, those organizations are moving to cloud to, um, you know, DevOps, uh, containers. So it's a problem that exists across the board in that respect. 
And, I, you know, it, 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 it reminds me, people like to talk a lot about the evolution of technology or about technology as evolving. But for most organizations, it's not really an evolution. It's more of an aggregation, right? Mm-hmm. Because you, you don't get rid of the old technology at the same pace that you add new technology. So you just end up with mm-hmm. more that you have to secure. No, in fact, innovation is usually an additive thing, right? When you think about when you think about companies that that we think of as being truly innovative, there's certainly a number of them that have come up with something kind of just net new, but a lot of it is quite additive, right? Mm, yeah. um, whether you're talking about Google or, or Uber or, or or any of those things, um, which is an interesting place to take this conversation as someone who's in product. Also, what is what does product discovery look like? for an organization that's been around as long as you have? Because it's not easy being a technology company, surviving as long as you have in this market, especially security, considering just how many competitors spring up on any yeah. given day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a challenge. I mean, you, you, we, of course, have the same hybrid problem that our customers do in this case, in, in that we have long-term existing customers who have deployed products in primarily an on-premise environment, um, and and we have to do product discovery with them. And in those cases, it's it's um, you know maybe I'd, I'd call them legacy product discovery uh, me, you know methodologies. You, you have to go and talk to those customers. You don't in those cases have the product telemetry that you might get from a SaaS offering um, because they're deployed on premise. In some cases, they're deployed in on premise situations where they're disconnected. Um, mm-hmm. You know, could be a, a secured facility, could be a you know some kind of mobile environment. Uh, you know, like a, a ship or a tank or what have you. Um, so it, it, that pulls on the organization in a particular direction. And at the same time, you've got other customers who are really pushing the edge or pushing the envelope rather on new technology. And in that case, you, you're building the instrumentation into the product to get that feedback, to do that kind of product discovery that that that's less interactive with one customer and more sort of aggregate customer behavior. Um, and so it's a, it's a challenge for, for an organization because you have to, at the, at, at the same time, you have to adapt to newer ways of, of gathering that data, but preserve some of the older ones because those customers are, they're important, you know, they're valuable. Absolutely. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, I think, I think a lot of people kind of lose sight of that, right? Um, that, that definition of, of product market fit being at the center of being able to retain customers, I think eludes a, a, a lot of uh, product. I feel like it eludes a lot of security product people, no offense to you guys out there listening, sorry, don't, don't at me, don't at me, seriously, don't at me, I'm not going to respond. Um. Yeah, I, whenever, I, whenever I find that I'm, I'm getting you know, a little bit lost in, in, in those details or challenged by a particular problem, I, I always find it's, it's really helpful to come back to just focusing on being customer-centric. Because ultimately, uh, you know, ultimately my job is to, to help solve customer problems. And so if I can focus on the customers and the problems I'm trying to solve, it, it helps to sort of push away some of the, the noise uh, that can, can generate confusion. Indeed. I, I love the conversations that we have with people who are actively talking to customers as much as you, you do, because product people have to by nature. Any particular trends in those conversations? And I asked that question kind of separated from, you know, like the, the, the trends that we might publish in, in reports and so forth. But, but like the trends that you, you've, you've been observing, especially over these last 12 to 18 months of the folks with the problems on the ground. Yeah. Let me think about that. Cause it is, it is difficult to separate the market trends from sort of the, the customer trends. I think that's fair. You know, in the, in the customer base, 
you know, most of the customers we're talking to are focused on either, you know, IT security or, or compliance or some intersection mm-hmm. of those two. Um, and I, I think the trend I would probably call out there is that they're, they're seeing their, their scope of responsibility expand, um, sometimes in ways that, that, that they're expecting and sometimes in, in unexpected ways. So, um, we're talking to a lot more uh, CISOs, VPs of security, directors of security who are, who are becoming responsible for um, OT environments, for ICS environments uh, that their organization may have had for a long time, but they're they're suddenly responsible for it. So if I go back, mm. I'm just thinking about a conversation I had maybe five years ago with a large uh, you know grocery chain, essentially. Um, we were talking to IT security. I asked the question if they were you know, if they had a, a, a manufacturing footprint and they're like, oh, yeah, we're a huge manufacturer. And I said, well, are you responsible? For, how are you securing that environment? I said, well, it's not our job. We're IT security. And if I have that conversation today, the answer is very different. It's usually something more like it's not my responsibility and I know whose it is or it is now my responsibility and I'm not sure what to do with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that's often a, an answer, too. Um, and the same goes for cloud, right? We're finding that uh, IT security folks are, are – Often catching up with cloud adoption in their environment and trying to figure out how to how to secure that environment, uh, even though they don't actually control it, um, they, they may not have the authority to do so, um, and that's a challenge for sure. This the show is obviously called Privacy Please, and because we talk about that intersection of privacy and security, and so I'll I'll plus one your statement because. In the last several years, those same security leaders have found themselves rather responsible for not accountable for the privacy of the data, but for the controls that preserve the privacy of that data. Yeah. Because ultimately, they are they are the control shop, right? They, they are the ones that already have the infrastructure to monitor controls, to apply mm-hmm. controls, to recognize change. Um How's privacy showing up in your world? Well, I was. I think that the question there is, I, I don't want to – there are people with good intentions around privacy in IT security. But fundamentally, you know, information security in most organizations is not about delivering perfect security. It's about enabling a business to function, to deliver a service as securely as possible. And when you talk about data privacy, often those organizations are doing – what they need to for data privacy, mm-hmm. um, unless it's part of a differentiated marketing message for them. So I, I you know, I think mm-hmm. about like Apple has has started using privacy as a marketing message. So that's a little mm-hmm. bit different. And but then the, they shot themselves in the foot. Well, yeah, <laughs> maybe not entirely successfully. <laughs> fair enough. Um, but in increasingly, we're seeing privacy being driven by regulation, right. um, which is an interesting dynamic because it, it generates this this compliance need for, from an organization. So it's, it's yes, everybody would like to protect their customer data, but they're not going to put their company at jeopardy in order to do so, financially speaking. But if a regulation comes along and forces them to take action, well, then they have to. It, it changes the, the, the financial equation for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've definitely seen that, that push for privacy coming from a regulatory standpoint um, yeah. with, with customers. Yeah. Tim, I just want to jump in, Gabe. <clears throat> Since we're on that yeah, topic, no, please. I was going to say I'm doing that thing I do where I dominate the conversation and nobody hey, gets it. Hey, you know what? Hey, get it. Hey, it's all good. Doug Cameron, thanks. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> thanks. I'm back. Thanks. Yeah, I'm back. yeah. How are you, Cameron? I'm good. I'm good. So, Tim, what what has been um, around the same topic? Obviously, privacy. Uh, what do you find 
exciting about it and or do you like the direction that it's going in right now where it's in the intersection between security and, and privacy and, and how it's developing? Because obviously security, we've talked about this on the show a lot, Gabe. It's it's relatively still kind of new, too. It's not really that old. But, you know, I, I understand that sentiment. I, I thoroughly understand that sentiment, um, but even though. Yeah. Yeah. But privacy obviously is very, very new. Um, and it's it's. I'm just curious on your take being in the industry as long as you have, um, as long as, you know, Gabe's been around the same time, but I, I just want to hear from you and what you, your thoughts on, on how privacy is affecting, uh, organizations around that yeah. compliance and, and every, I mean, it's, it's a lot and it's going to get even more, you know, relevant as we, as we move along with, uh, Florida's coming out with theirs. They have a lot in 2023 that are coming out for a lot of acts. So I'm just curious on your take. Yeah, I'm. Um, I think I, I would say I, I'm a fan of a well-crafted privacy regulation um, in general. Now, I think there there can be poorly crafted privacy regulations that that ultimately put undue burden on a on a business and also don't ultimately protect privacy. That is totally possible. Mm. But I don't. In this climate where breaches are pretty commonplace, where the the impact of that breach when it involves personal data is often you know, multiple steps removed from the breach itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see a path towards protecting uh, consumer data privacy without regulation effectively. Because as an organization, if I have a breach and, and you know, I, my, my customer's data is, is compromised, uh, by the time the customer experiences that compromise in some other form than just a, a basic notification, which remember that notification is, is also something that's driven by regulation, mm-hmm. Um, we didn't always have to notify customers when their data was was taken um, or copied. Um, but if it's if my experience of that breach is is you know six months later, I'm not it's I'm not going to have a it's not going to have a reputational impact on that company. Nothing is going to force that company to do anything differently to protect consumer data in that case. And that's why where regulation steps in to to help do that. So I'm generally a fan of of that trend. Um, you know, I think GDPR is the sort of the the big uh, you know regulatory push in that respect and there are mm-hmm. some follow-on regulations coming as well or that have come generally a fan of that that pattern i think um there are going to be mistakes along the way uh, i don't think a you know a, a regulation um or a any kind of a, a compliance standard is is a, a static entity that that shouldn't change um in fact you know it should be planned and roadmapped and changed uh, but i think they can be very effective at accomplishing a goal that, that businesses have a difficult time accomplishing on their own I like that. Mm-hmm. And and to to piggyback off of that, what what would you like to see happen that you haven't seen happen yet? That's a pretty long list, but I'll I'll try and limit it to the, the <laughs> privacy conversation. Uh, we still don't have flying cars. I'm with you, Tim. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, Damn yeah. Jets. No, I've been thinking a lot about climate change lately. I think I think that's probably yeah. where I'd go. But uh, you know, yeah. aside from that, if we want to talk about security and privacy specifically, um, I think the hardest, maybe the the biggest challenge is is the the variety of 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 regulations that are out there and their, um, you know the 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 differences in how they're applied. Like it's difficult for an organization. It's challenging for an organization to understand what applies in which country, uh, you know, or state, and what they actually have to do to comply. Um, 
I think there's room for improvement there, um, mm-hmm. for sure. Let me break it and hit you with a, a combination of a security and a philosophy question. Privacy, uh, oh, sorry, security. Security risk arise from unauthorized access to data. It's, again, foundational to Tripwire's history, right? Mm-hmm. Like something changed. Someone touched mm-hmm. this thing that they shouldn't have kind of thing. Privacy risk arise from authorized access to data. And it creates now this scenario where there isn't necessarily change. It's supposed to have been accessed. Those two things seem to live in contradiction to each other. And yet we, we have to solve for them as, as security professionals. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I I suppose you're you're thinking about like misuse of information to which you know someone is authorized access. Is that that kind of the example? Yes. Um, and how do you, you know, unauthorized access in 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 theory is relatively easy to detect if you can determine that it's unauthorized. You at least have that. You have a a way to make a, a decision. With an, you have an, a thing that you can look at. Yeah. Yes. Um, Observe. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, with unauthorized access. Or sorry, with authorized access and abuse of that information, I, it is a challenge. I think that I think you end up having to focus on the. Uh, it doesn't sound ideal on the on the abuse on the action rather than the access. Although, it's arguable that um, there's a pattern of access that might change when there's abuse going on. So you might not key in on the access itself, but on the pattern of access and if that changes. So maybe I'm authorized to look at customer data. Um, and maybe I look at individual customer records, you know, a bunch of times a week. And then all of a sudden I download all of them. Well, that's a change in that pattern um, that you would indicate that there might be something going on. Maybe it's benign, but it's worth looking into. It's worth investigating. Um, and it could go the other way. Maybe it, my job is to download all of the, the customer information once a week and do something with it. And then I start looking at a couple of individual records. Well, maybe I'm not really, uh, you know, I don't usually mm-hmm. look at individual records. I'm doing something different, something to key in mm-hmm. on. So my authorization hasn't changed, but the pattern of, of usage has. And that's a way to, to, to key in on that. All roads lead back to change, eh? I uh, yeah. Question. I like you know, I kind of I do get paid to talk about that too, right? <laughs> but, but it seems <laughs> yeah, every time I have fair. the conversation, it, it, it does seem to it's come relevant. back to that. Every incident begins with a change. It is relevant. Yeah, I got, I got a <clears throat> challenge for you. Um, always love hearing uh, a different take on this. But if you only had a hundred dollar budget to use on data privacy and security, let's just say you're coming into uh, a new role in the company or a new company or a startup or whatever, and you only have that small amount of budget to start a privacy and security program, where would you start? Yeah, let, let's talk about that number. A hundred dollars. One zero zero dot zero zero. You're not you're not missing a, a zero or a couple of zeros <laughs> or five or five. Nope. I mean, I don't know. Like uh, with a hundred bucks, uh, <clears throat> I don't know where I would start with a hundred dollars. I mean, you can't. There's not much you can buy for a hundred dollars. I know. I mean, I, you know, I go back to the 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 basics of of what <laughs> I think. I think I'd probably pocket the hundred bucks and put in some time. <laughs> You know, uh, I mean, I mean that, right. I, the first place I would start is with, with an assessment of, of what's already in place and where, where I am, because you've got to start with sort of these basic controls as a foundation before you go 
uh, you know, put any, any, you know, interesting, innovative technology in. I, you've got to start with, do I know what assets I have? Mm-hmm. Can I actually inventory the assets in my environment? And do I know what they're for? Um, because I can't, I can't protect what I don't know about. And if there are assets on my, on my network in my environment that aren't mine, uh, that's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, you know, are they configured securely? So start with that sort of baseline assessment of, of configuration. Uh, and then, you know, are they staying configured securely? Can I monitor them for change, you know, against that? So if I've got a, a you know, a policy that, that everyone should be using multi-factor authentication, you know, I should check all my systems to make sure they're set up for MFA. And then if any of them get changed, I should know about it. Um, you know, that's a starting point. And from there, I move into things like, you know, vulnerability management, um, email security. You could just sort of go through the list of, of CIS control, Center for Internet Security. But you can't do any of that for 100 bucks. Um, so as I said, you know, pocket, pocket the 100 bucks and then go do the assessment myself. That's probably the best value for money. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I tell you that. We, yeah. Yeah, we've asked Sorry, that question ahead. a lot. And uh, I appreciate the putting in the time, the, the going and inspecting and understanding what you have. Although we've gotten a lot of other good answers, a lot of other really good answers, I might argue that yours is the best, if only because the thing that you started with was... You don't have to argue. You let, can just say it. It's fine. <laughs> I can. I shall. Let me look around and get an understanding of my environment. And maybe that's, maybe that's your inner product guy that, that you know, kind of explores problem space before you go to solution space. Mm. In fact, it probably is your inner product guy that understands that I should understand my problem intimately before I jump right to solutioning. Um, the judges will accept it. They will allow it. I think your answer rises to the top. And by the way, the, the, the past winner has been standing for quite some time. Um, Mr. James McQuiggan, if you're listening, listening out there, you got bumped. Tim's, uh, <laughs> Tim's answer is yeah, it just rose to the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Hot take. <laughs> Hot take. But it's interesting because, you know, I didn't think about it in answering the question, but, but so often we try and solve security problems with, with tools and with technology when the core of the problem is, is, is people or process. And mm-hmm. in fact, I might not need to buy a tool in order to solve that problem. I, maybe I need to use the tools I have already. Uh, right. More effectively. Well, there, you know, we've As had a, we've had a couple other good answers too. Um, where it kind of relates to what you're talking about. It's the people and the training, the lack of training. It goes a start into uh, actual proper training. Um, which, which I think, which, by the way, was James's answer was yeah. he would take the hundred bucks and buy uh, posters that he could use to help educate the organization. Which I. Yeah, no, that, I don't think he's going to get. Uh, I don't going to get the posters for a hundred bucks. All I'm saying, I, I think a hundred bucks is <laughs> maybe one poster. <laughs> maybe if he makes them himself. Tim. Where are you, where are you shopping for a hundred dollar poster, Tim? <laughs> well, you got to get it printed poster. at like you know, Kinkos or something. I don't know. Is there still one of those around? FedEx. Oh, I think they got merged they got with those. FedEx. There you now. go. There you go. That's <laughs> it. No, but that, 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 that is a solid answer. And, and maybe it's because I, too, am a product guy and I'm, and, and I'm a little biased in that respect. But you're all right, in my opinion, too, which is um, one of the problems is that we don't spend enough time understanding the problem. And we go right to, ah, we can go solve it this way. Like We didn't patch all the things. So let's go buy a tool that patches the things. But why aren't you patching all the things? Yeah. Well, is that, I mean, yeah. just, just by history itself, I mean, when it comes to security, is that, is that by nature because of how things used to be when it, when, because everything was already, always thought about around the perimeter? Like, let's secure the perimeter instead of like actually understanding and the foundation 
of knowing where your data is? Is that is that kind of why things are the way they kind of are? I have a hot take, but th- okay. th- but the show's for our guests. So yeah, no, Tim. <laughs> what, yeah, what what, well, what I, is your take? I want to know what your hot take is, but I, I think um, one of the one of the influencing factors there is that you know security, IT security, grew out of IT. So you've got essentially a group of technology-focused people solving that problem. Um, and if you look at security outside of IT security, um, or just risk management, maybe look at it that way, from a business standpoint, when you have business people trying to solve risk management problems, they, they have a very different perspective than when you have IT security people trying to do risk management. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they, they think much more in terms of what's acceptable. They think more in terms of what do I need to actually run this business or accomplish my goal or deliver this service. And on the IT security side, you know, the, the, the old adage is that, that, that IT security is the department of no. And I think that's changed quite a lot, but it's certainly part of the legacy of IT security that, you know, the w- best way to secure a computer is to turn it off, unplug it. Um, yeah, except then you can't do anything with it and it's useless. So um, I think we're getting there. But I, I do see some of that that legacy of being the, the department of no and coming from a background of technology in how problems get solved or in how people propose solving problems. I just had a flashback there to my Geek Squad Best Buy days back in the day. Ma'am, did you did you is there a battery in it? Did, did you, you did you reset it? it? Hit the button. <laughs> did you did you turn it on at all? <laughs> I'm inclined to agree with you, but I'll add the following. I, I do think it's a it, it's a human problem. Um, and you mentioned at the start that a lot of folks that you work with came out of like philosophy backgrounds. They're intelligent people. Like they're very intelligent people, and intelligent people can oftentimes suffer from the bias of their own intuition, mm. right? Yeah. Um, and I feel like in security in particular, and, and I do, I, I pick on, on my fellow security people often, and I'm sorry, guys, again, don't bother adding me. I'm not going to even reply to you. Um, but that is part of our problem is that uh, that, that bias of your intuition, like we know things. We know things because we've been at this for so long. We've been studying it for so long. We, 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 see, we see all the data points. Um, that, that bias of, of intuition leads to that, that jump to the conclusions. And, um, and I'll, I'll plug Daniel Kahneman's book, um, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow, where he, he goes into to that quite a bit. But uh, I, I genuinely think that's part of the problem, which, again, I'm equally biased further, which is why I think product people in particular and security product people really understand these problems well, is because a good product person will understand that um, they, don't, they don't know. We don't know. Yeah. We have to go find out. We have to go find out the answer. Yeah. We don't know the answer. And until you go talk to a customer... You don't know the answer. You actually don't know how to solve that problem. Well, and, and going back to that that product discovery process, I, I do worry that as we move towards more and more automated product discovery, automated decisions about product, that we we lose touch with that that actual human understanding of what the problem is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, and you know we have to work to maintain that. To mm-hmm. and you know in in a pandemic where we're working remotely more often. You know, even more so, like I, I worry about losing touch with customers because I'm not going to visit them anymore. And yeah. I haven't gone and, you know, had lunch or dinner or drinks or those casual conversations where you get a better understanding of what the problem actually means to someone, how it impacts their day. You know, is it is it that they, you know, can't get home to, to see their kids because they're stuck preparing for an audit? Like, what is that impact? I think that does make a difference. Um, it makes a difference in how you solve problems. Agreed. The hallway conversations at conferences, I mean, yeah. the, the, those were just chock full of learnings of, of actual problems. I, I've had so many light bulb moments like, oh, 
that's what's going yeah. on. Well, we'll yeah. we'll get back to them at some point. We will. Yes. Yes, so. indeed. We shall. So, uh, to make it a little more personal, Tim, what, when you hear the term privacy, what what does that mean to you personally? What where do you you know do you find a passion in it? Um, or are you starting to grow that passion being in the industry that you're in dealing with customers and helping them make an impact on protecting their private data? Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to, it, it's, it's not always accurate, but I tend to include privacy and security together in this thought. But I, when I think about it, I, I think, you know, sort of everyone deserves the, the freedom to pursue their own happiness, you know, as long as that happiness doesn't adversely impact someone else. Right. Um, and, Cybersecurity as a broad industry, like we, we can get really caught up in the details, but fundamentally, when we're preserving privacy, when we're preserving uh, security, we're giving organizations the ability to deliver their service, to produce their good in a sustainable way. And that, that lets people pursue whatever it is that makes them happy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's a bit of a maybe a stretch, but you know, if I'm feeling philosophical about it, I think about how we're enabling people to sort of pursue whatever it is that makes them happy um, without being impacted by, you know, cyber attacks, by criminals, by fraud, uh, as much as possible. Um, and I think that that kind of is is the, the philosophy behind it, for me at least. I like it. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know if I've, I've uh, again, quite heard it articulated that way. I appreciate that thought. Hey, the power of different mind thinking and different guests. Yeah. Love it. Um, Tim, is there... Uh, is there anything that you could give <clears throat> around fixing your own security, either personal or for companies? Um, any tips after yeah. the last 12, 18 months? Um, I think for, for individuals, uh, my, my overriding tip uh, these days is, is multi-factor authentication. If you can enable MFA on whatever services you're using, you should do that. Like make a list of the things you log into, um, go enable multi-factor authentication. Um, it's, not hard to do, and it has a significant impact on sort of that personal data security, um, you know, side of the equation. And, and most services today offer some kind of MFA. Mm-hmm. And I will admit, I am not always perfect at doing this. Um, it's easy sometimes to, if I have an account that I've had for a long time, just leave it. I don't want to go configure it and change it. But especially for the things that that have a significant impact or could have a significant impact on you, um, MFA is the way to go. And I would sort of push that as the the primary piece of advice. Um, for companies, uh, you know, it's hard to not just go back to that back to basics kind of message, like mm-hmm. start with, do you know everything that's in your environment? Are they configured securely? Uh, can you detect if those configurations change, like make it as hard as possible for an attacker to, uh, compromise and move around in your environment. Um, I know that we, we tend to think of cyber attacks as, uh, an incident that occurs at a particular point in time. Um, and I actually like ransomware as an example here because ransomware, in order to be successful, has to announce itself. Like it's the, one of the few kinds of attacks that has a hundred percent detection rate uh, because eventually <laughs> it's got to ask for the ransom. Otherwise, it fails. Right. But it wants to it. The attackers want to ransom something valuable, which is either a specific piece of data or it's as much mm-hmm. data as possible. And in order to do that, they've got to move around inside your environment. Um, so that po- initial point of compromise, if it's you know a phishing campaign, it's one laptop. After that, there are multiple steps that get taken for that ransomware to be successful. And those basic security controls can really make it much more difficult 
for ransomware to move in your environment. And, and on the same note, for any other kind of attack to move around inside your environment. So, you know, whatever you can do to make it difficult for, um, for attackers to, to be successful, I think is, uh, is highly valuable. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And <clears throat> is there anything that uh, we did not bring up that you'd love to bring up on the show while we have you? I think, um, uh, you know, if, if, if anything, I, I would, we could do a whole show about industrial cybersecurity. That's probably the other uh, hot button topic for me. Um, can we, can we invite you back to do just that? Yeah, happily. I'd love to. I think it's a super interesting area. It's one where, uh, you know, Tripwire has a, a, a lot of our business um, and it's, it's, sufficiently different from sort of the enterprise IT business that it's really interesting. Um, I think we talked a little bit about that, the, the, the myth that industrial cybersecurity is always about protecting old technology, but there are super exciting new technologies in that space that also need to be secured. Um, I think with, um, you know, the, the, the progress of climate change, we're going to see changes in technology to address that, um, either in terms of generating energy or in terms of building you know, hardened equipment that can be deployed in, in less hospitable environments, I think that's going to drive some interesting security changes as well. So definitely more to talk about there and, um, you know, something I would I would certainly promote as a, an area of Tripwire's expertise. Awesome. So, yeah, we, we haven't touched much on uh, industrial mm-hmm. systems at all. I think the closest, if you want to call it that, that we may have gotten, you know, IoT devices. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, our conversations have mostly focused kind of, again, on the privacy impact of personal IoT devices, but they, I, I feel like they fall under that same umbrella. Yeah, yeah, they do. It's an extension. Um, I had a yeah. an industrial engineer once tell me that uh, that IoT is just, it's just cheap OT, um, just an <laughs> yes. extension, you know, a little less expensive, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but same yeah. principle. Yeah. Great. Well, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and uh, go to our last se- segment here for our fun questions, our deep dark secrets, which is a, a play on because we're privacy please. Uh, but these are just fun questions, so the listeners and ourselves can learn a little bit more about you and how you think. So, first one for you is one that I've been using lately, but it's uh, it's interesting to hear people's take on it. How would you explain the color yellow to a blind a blind person? Let's see. I, I mean, how would you explain color to a blind person? I think I would probably, I'd probably try and relate it back to a, another sense uh, that 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 person could experience. So, I think I'd probably start by thinking about what yellow things smell like. Smell might be my go-to on that, um, and and try and come up with a list of of yellow objects and describe. Uh, or share somehow, you know, their 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 scent with with that person in order for them to sort of create a a category at least. Um, mm. I don't know how how well that would work out, but it, it would be a, a start at least. That's good. I like it. Yeah, judges will yeah. allow. The judges will approve. Yeah, yes. yeah they allow it. Yeah. Um, a little silly one here for you, but how is the TP situation at the house? Do you have it? Uh, do you have the roll on the top? Do you grab from the top, or do you have it on the bottom? There's only two people in this world. How do you have it at Tim's house? <laughs> uh, I will say I, I prefer the top, uh, but my household consists of three other people, um, some of whom are are uh, in the sort of teenage uh, span of time. And so I'm also, it's just likely I'm going to find that roll of TP on the floor, on the <laughs> counter, 
empty, uh, you know, on the roller. Those are all equally possible in my household. Cameron mentioned two types of people. There are there are civilized gentlemen like yourself, and then there's those that want to watch the world burn. Then there are teenagers. Yeah, they fall in that category. There's Indeed. there's also two year olds that I that I deal with where you go into the same, bathroom just, and it's same. just spin it. Yeah, it's What's just the a difference pile between of it? a teenager and a, and a two year old. <laughs> really, I mean, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. It's just a pile yeah. of it, and it's like I'm not throwing this away. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I've had that experience too. <laughs> All right, so this is a fun question. If you could cast yourself in a movie, what genre would the movie be about your life, and who would be famously playing you? Well, the genre would definitely be like science fiction superhero. Um, I think uh, there's something super, super attractive in a world that's really complex. Uh, there's something super attractive about clear binary good and evil and someone who you know is going to win um i think that's 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 attractive in terms of who would play me i have no idea um <laughs> mostly because I, I probably have a hard time casting myself in that that superhero role uh but you know you could you could pick uh i mean i'm a, I'm a fan of chris pratt like yeah why not did you what did you think si- sidebar what did you think of his latest sci-fi uh the um uh, was it the was it an Amazon movie? Yeah, the Amazon one. Tomorrow World or to- yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was okay. I I had some problems with the uh, I had some problems with with the plot and the writing. Like it was reasonably entertaining, uh, but there were a few things that uh, that jumped out at me as as um, you know sort of self contradictory inside of that movie. Yeah, I think yeah. some of the writing was aimed towards either just they couldn't figure out certain things because I would question myself as to why would they do this when they could have just done this. But then you think probably because they wanted it to stand out more in the movie. And it, it, but I know what you mean. It was, it was definitely entertaining. Um, I actually liked the monsters. I liked the way that they were. I thought, I thought that they probably had a lot of money for this big budget for it. Um, I thought that it was surprisingly entertaining. They They should have spent a little more on the writers. Yeah, I'm not. I don't even look at who actually wrote it, but uh, Chris Pratt is always entertaining enough. And then uh, I like the other guy that was with him. That's from Detroiters. I can't remember his name. Uh, Sam Richardson or something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, so this is another fun question from the last TV show that you watched. Let's just say that uh, you were kidnapped. Who, what, what characters from that show would be coming to save you? <laughs> oh, well, I just, I watched the first episode of Only Murders in the Building on Hulu. Uh, so you've got, I can't remember the characters' names now, but it's, it's uh, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they're almost basically. The two amigos, almost three. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're sort of you're haphazardly gonna, investigating a murder. So, um <laughs> seems appropriate that they yeah. might try and come and rescue me. I'm not sure they'd succeed. No, I've only no. watched one I'm episode. I'm almost certain so. they won't, in fact. Yeah. They may make you laugh a little bit, though, at least. Yes. 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 All right. Make it a little less. The, w- uh, <laughs> got- the wake's going to be fun. You can, you, can, you can bet on that. <laughs> All right. Last one for you. Um, oh, wait. I just went blank. Mm, I hate that. Superpower. Uh, yeah, we can go with that one. That's good, too. So if you could choose one superpower, what would it be and, and why? 
so many to choose from. Uh, and yet there's only one right answer. Oh, no. Now you've put the pressure on me. There's only one right answer. Only one. No. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, I think I'd go with the 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 instant instant healing kind of superpower, sort of the Wolverine-esque okay. approach to the problem. Uh, I think it opens up a lot of possibilities. And I also, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated with how things change over time. And so the ability to, to live a really long time and see that change sounds pretty interesting to me. Although, you know, from all the sci-fi I've watched and read, I, I, I will absolutely regret living a long time. Uh, <laughs> it seems like a terrible trade-off, but yeah, I think I'd go with that. Yeah, that's what a was good the, answer. What, what was the right answer? Yeah, Gabe. Time travel. Time travel oh, is the only Oh, time travel. Well, yeah. th- there's there's nothing else I can't do if I can travel through time. Right? You, like, I can you get someplace that. quickly. You're making a whole bunch of assumptions quickly. about the nature of time. I mean... I, well, it's a superpower. I, just... I make it all kinds of assumptions. That's <laughs> 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 a good point. It's a good point. Yeah. Why does my suspension of disbelief start at that, pati- right, at that particular right, point? Right there. Arbitrary. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah, funny it's you mentioned that about the Wolverine thing, because the last Wolverine movie I absolutely loved. It was darker. It was really, really well done. And um, I don't know if you watched the TV show, the the one with the everybody's all these superheroes, the bad. Uh, it's on Amazon. Um, the Boys. The Boys. I couldn't. I couldn't watch it. I watched no. some of it. It was the. It was. It was the. The violence and gore was gratuitous to the point of of not. It just didn't do it for me. I just yeah, felt like it was. I, yeah. It didn't I need to be there. It didn't enhance. The, I'm still the show. trying to catch on. Like I'm not fully like in, in, involved yet. I'm still in the first season, but I'm giving it a shot. But I, I kind of know what you mean already. But it's uh, it, the reason why I brought it up is because the the girl in the first season that. Uh, she got shot and then she like regenerated. She, she mm-hmm. the one that like can basically rip you to shreds or whatever. Can't remember her name, but anyways. Well, Tim, thank you so much for my uh, pleasure for coming on the show. We really, really appreciate your time and uh, all your insight and just really, you know, you know, excited to see the rest of your journey at, at Tripwire and where things go. And um, I hope to have you back on for that that industrial episode. That'll be. That'll be fun. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Do that. that was yeah, super fun. I that. appreciate it. Yeah, let's get that on the books. Tim, it, it was a pleasure. It was an absolute pleasure. Um, I, it's a shame that our paths hadn't crossed earlier, but it's it's good to get to know you. And this was a very insightful, very, very fun conversation. I think the listeners will will get a total kick out of it. And, uh, yeah, we really appreciate appreciate. Yeah, thanks for having There's me. There's that Friday just coming up. Yeah. Awesome. I just wanted to thank all of you out there for tuning in each and every week and to all of our amazing guests for coming on. I I know that there are millions of other shows and it means the world to have you with us on this journey. We are so grateful that you choose to listen to us each and every week. If you like the show, tell a friend, have them tell their friends and then make, maybe make some new friends along the way. uh, So we can continue to spread the word and keep learning together. Let's protect what matters most. And by the way, DJ Can you go ahead and drop that outro beat and keep it classy? We'll see y'all next week.